sage when you walked in Cause I have no idea where you've been What kind of energy you conjuring What kind of spells you be casting I lit a sage when you walked in Cause I have no idea where you've been What kind of energy you conjuring What kind of spells you be casting Hello! Hi! Hi! We missed you. We are Cheers and Queers, a boozy podcast about black queer life. And I am Kira Traber, a theater artist. And I'm Ishoke Smith, a tired. (laughs) Hello, tired. (laughs) (laughs) So, I just wanted to say, like, we made one year. Woo! One Girl. year. Are y'all ready for this? Because we're going to do the thing. Oh, my God. We're going to do the thing. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> well, now you know. So we are having a flight of drinks to celebrate. Damn Instead straight. of just having one drink, we're going to have four different drinks. Anniversary, y'all. <laughs> we out here. It's Tuesday. <laughs> and we're going to talk about ourselves we're gonna talk about the way we exist in the world and we're talking about the world because you know something's got us fucked up in these streets yeah we're gonna let you know how we've been and um use that as a way to talk about maybe how we're all doing as we launch into i guess season two season two um and also um we've we've been on hiatus for a bit we missed you but you've still been listening which is amazing we had we have four 5.5, six great episodes that you can check out <laughs> and um, rate us on Twitter. Um, rate us on Twitter. Rate us on iTunes. Let us know what you think. Um, give us them five stars, please. <laughs> and then make a comment about it if you want. Tell us and tell the world about how we're making content that you love. And we have a review, right? We have our new review, which is so exciting because it's from someone that we don't know. So... Um, Legs, spelled L-E-G-Z, 78. Oh, yeah. Um, left us a five-star review with the title, Amazing. And they said, gives me life. Thank you so much for this podcast. Sometimes it's hard to find the community that resonates in real life, and this podcast feels like community. Yes. I just want to say... I know. I just, I really, it <laughs> feels so great to like know that like you know we are out here that's great it's really validating for why we do this exactly yeah build build the space you want us you want to be a part of um so thank you for that review if you too want to be podcast famous and have us read your review on the air is it the do we call it the air if it's a podcast yes (laughs) cosmically (laughs) internet air I don't know. Um, in your ears, because it's the, I don't, I just, we'll come back to Spiritual that. Spiritual wavelengths. We're going to put that in the garden. I lit a um, sage, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what energy. You know what? Anyway, if you want to be internet famous slash podcast famous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely you get to be famous if you comment on our stuff. <laughs> That's how that works. Uh, leave us a review. We will check it and then we'll read it here to the people. Um, so you want to check in? Let's check in. Okay. 
So tell us your pronouns and um, how's your head, how's your spirit, and how's your body? Me first? Mm, yeah, you can go first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Kyria, pronouns she, her, and femme if you're nasty. Ow. And how is my head? Um, whew. My head, my spirit, my body. Mm. I'm going to get into this a little bit in the episode, but in brief. Um, I feel relatively clear-headed considering I'm a very strategic, logical person. Capricorn rising is strong. It's been a very Capricorn cosmic season for me. I'm super in my earth and Capricorn right now. So my head is relatively clear. My spirit is trying to tell me things that I am. I keep going, what? Huh? I say it again huh <laughs> so we need to have a, a deeper conversation about listening <laughs> and my body is uh, a little jacked up and i'll get into that later how about you word um i think my head is well right now my head's full of big frida because <laughs> <laughs> i just Tell meant to go see it. big frida i love big frida um, I got to see her live last year, and I just came from seeing her live just now because my girlfriend's great and was like, hey, there's a thing. And I was like, oh, my God, yes. Um, so that was really great. Um, my spirit is feeling light given that, you know, I got to just experience this, like, amazing, like, musical adventure. Um, you can see her aura, y'all. It's, like, glowing. <laughs> I'm really jealous. <laughs> Um, which is radically different from the way my spirit's been feeling in the last couple of weeks. Um, and then my body, my body's sore. I've been doing some workouts. Uh, mm. It's con crunch time, trying to get ready for Dragon Con. So, you know, trying to get my, my sexy together. Yeah. Um, for, for all of the cosplays. All of them. Excellent. Uh, what are we drinking first? What's our first drink? So our first drink is this really fancy schmancy rum and coke. <laughs> it is slightly fancy. Um, I really like it, you know. So I'm <laughs> right, I'm basic. <laughs> well, let's let's back up and say we chose for our flight um, rum as the base for Word. all of our drinks uh, because at least half of us are Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> I am, and only half of the half. <laughs> right. I am Caribbean by association. I have so many Caribbean friends. I am so grateful for y'all for teaching me about your cultures. And, and yeah. And so rum is the base. And so the first drink is a rum and coke. But I, I threw a little bouge in there. So it is a Fentiman's Curiosity Cola. <laughs> fermented botanical cola drink with ginger and herbal extracts. And some Mount Gay. Because Barbados. Yes. So because that's um, where my people are from. Let's take a sip. How is it? I like it. I usually cokes are a little bit sweet for me, so it's nice that this is not overpowering. Um, oh. And I like Mount Gay as a rum. So yeah, I tend to like a drink with a bitter, f like kind of, um, not like fully. Well, I do like a lot of bitter stuff, but this has a nice. It's like a cola that has like a, its own bitterness to it in a way that's like complex and interesting <laughs> and then it's like you know some classic rum i'm into it yeah cheers for the first round Woo. Woo. what are we getting into um so we're gonna roll first into um <clears throat> something that a lot of folks have been talking about uh which is housing right so Ugh. we both live in brooklyn <laughs> i'm from brooklyn uh housing has been a thing that 
uh, I feel like I've been talking about my whole life, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, my family owns a home um, in Bed-Stuy. We've, you know, the house has been in our family since my great-grandmother mm. uh, purchased it. And, you know, my uncles would like to sell the house, right? Mm. You know. For, for a myriad of reasons, the biggest of which is, like, it is a very expensive asset to maintain. Mm-hmm. And that's really difficult for me because I sort of was raised as the eldest girl child uh, to believe that, you know, A, it was my job to take care of the house, but B, that the reward for me taking care of the house would be that it would be mine. Um, and, you know, my, my dad and, you know, his two brothers, who are, you know, the boy children, are like, well, you know, we're trying to manage this asset in a responsible way, blah, blah, whatever. And that means for them, you know, getting, mm-hmm. you know, shifting the asset into a more uh, functional uh, iteration, which to them is, is cash. So that's that's really hard. <laughs> it doesn't help that I live there right now. <laughs> yeah, no, this is huge. Like what you're talking about is like in it's on the one hand, um you know, you are connecting it to, like, strategic thinking about how people want to handle their money, which seems totally logical, but it's your home. It's And it is your grandparents' home. And did you say your great-grandparents' yeah, home? Yeah, my great-grandmother bought this is, the house. Damn. Then, what year was that? I want to say in the 40s. Mm is when they, like, begin to put money on the house. And, like, let's not, you know, we're talking about 1940s New York City. Brooklyn. A, a Brooklyn, a black family buys a home. Yeah, and that's a, it's a, people often don't realize that that's a, the reason that Bed-Stuy is blackity black, black, black right. is because, like, you know, immigrants came and they were like, we're going to try and find a place mm-hmm. to live, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, a lot of the folks who are in Bed-Stuy and are in Crown Heights are of Caribbean descent because that's where they could afford to put money, to begin to put money down on property, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and some of them were going through loan sharks and, you know, other less uh, reputable, quote-unquote, ways of, of managing and, and handling money. But that was the way that they had access to because mm-hmm. banks wouldn't loan to them. Right, right. Right? And so... Now we are, we're seeing, you know, two and three generations later, folks who have said, all right, well, I don't have that problem anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. I can get money or I've earned however much money or, you know, now I have this a different type of wealth and I don't need this house. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, as folks are beginning to sell, as folks are beginning to transfer their wealth from owning physical property into buying property elsewhere or, um, you know, selling sort of to the highest bidder. We're seeing a drastic shift in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and your family's a part of that. Right. And, you know, they, you know, they're, they're and I get it, like they're deciding, like, you know, do we want to sell the black folks? Do we want to make that the, right. the, the, the sort of hard line? So that is a part of the conversation. Yeah, like it's, it's That's we've, good. We've been in the neighborhood long enough to see it shift. We've right. we've had conversations with other folks who have sold, um, and, and know that it's important to think about you know what what gets left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm also feeling like I'm getting left behind. Yeah. Um, so there's this really complex kind of dynamic that's happening there. Do you wish 
like if you if you had your way like if you won the lottery you 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 would just buy yeah it. if i mean if i won the lottery or if like folks wanted to go in on like buying a community house if you right. do hit me up i mean <laughs> these are thoughts that i may have had uh <laughs> literally and i'm i am it's a like, big choice though that's, yeah that's a huge thing i'm talking to folks who to commit to people uh, yeah. who are like they were folks who were like were like oh maybe i was gonna buy property like in Yonkers right. or like wherever. I'm like, what if you could buy property in, in central Brooklyn? Cheers and Queer's house? <laughs> <laughs> or just a queer black house, you know? Like that what, would be what would that look like, right? And, mm. you know, there's a, like, the logical part of my brain is like, it would take a lot of people, It would, mm-hmm. or it would take several people who have strategically managed their wealth at mm. this point in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know a lot of those people, right? Because we're black and queer and live in America. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and I know I hang out with a lot of Save the World types. So yep. we have not, you know, even now we're no sort Dallas. of. Right. Or we're coming into a space where we're like, right. ooh. Five dollars. Now I can <laughs> afford things. I don't feel like I'm living in a world where, like, you know, I'm, I'm super stressed, but I don't know that I have what it takes to invest in property. Right. You know, and it's 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 become something that I really there's a part of me that's like, bitch, you should have been thinking about this mm. 10 years ago. And I was like, well, 10 years ago, like I was 19 years old right. and trying, trying to, to figure out. Right. I was trying to fucking. <laughs> Figure out how to not die in Wisconsin, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and my but even then, my grandparents were saying to me like, "You gotta figure out what you're gonna do with this house." Like blah blah blah, and you know that you know there's there's a little bit of me that is grieving for like child me who has died, right? Mm. And feels like, mm. you know, there's this little girl who was like, "This is gonna be my house," mm. right? And I don't have to think too hard or yeah. you know struggle too hard about it. Like I'll always have a place that is mine. And like really coming into the to the strong understanding that that's not true, right? And that's a you know lies our parents told us. Interesting. You know? Yeah, I that's interesting the way you put it like that. That kind of brings like I I feel like I'm coming completely opposite end from you in that. Um, so I I'm biracial, uh, which is relevant to this conversation because obviously we're talking about property owning and people of color. So there mm-hmm. has been property owning in my white family mm-hmm. um, and property owning in my black family. Um, but there's also been like abdication of property owning mm-hmm. and like um, either by conscious like resistance to that kind of way of life mm-hmm. and or by falling out from the family and ah. making life choices that you know send someone into destitution that line of the family on both sides is where you meet my parents mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who ain't got nothing not a not a place um well i mean it's complicated actually my dad recently acquired a home that his mother had owned which is a big deal for him um because mm-hmm. they didn't even have a relationship when he was growing up blah 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 he lived on the street with his dad blah 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 so like um i i never had i never felt like anything i never felt a i never felt like i had a home mm-hmm. like my mantra to myself was like i want to go home i want to go home i want to go home because i didn't know what home was mm-hmm. and i never felt like anything was mine like in terms of owning like big things money whatever mm-hmm. that certainly was around me like don't get me wrong there was that in my family but mm-hmm. not my immediate family not my immediate experience mm-hmm. And there's parts of that that were like hard, 
um, and scary. And then parts of it that just felt like, why would I want that? That's I don't I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I, I've got other things that are more immediate, like can I eat? Do I have a place to sleep? Like I don't need to own the house if I could sleep there. That was my that was the way I thought about it because I couldn't even picture it any other way. Mm. But now. I do have this fancy degree and I am around institutions and people that have more historic wealth. Um, And even if it's just middle class status, you know, making friends with people such as yourself, who's Mm -hmm. like have had a little piece of pie. And then also reading about uh, black um, uh, uh, social uh, economic standing in this country and how much of that is tied to history of property. Mm -hmm. And literally in the last year, I've been like, Oh shit! I should buy some property. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but it's it's been a different journey um, through a lot of different things, and and most of my relationship to housing has been about um, homelessness. Like mm-hmm. not like do we own it, but like do we have a place to sleep? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been evicted illegally and didn't know where I was going to stay. My grandfather was homeless, lived on the street um, for thirty something years. My first boyfriend was a homeless teen runaway, Mm -hmm. Um, took him in for a little bit. He stayed in a tent in my mama's and I one bedroom house, the yard of our one bedroom house. He Mm -hmm. stayed in a tent in the backyard for a little while. My first girlfriend, serious girlfriend was in in and out of queer um, youth shelters when we met. Like homelessness has been a part of my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So now, like to be thinking about buying property and that being something I have a goal of just it almost seems like a fairy tale it's wild mm-hmm. right not that and, I have money to do it tomorrow but right as and, a goal. and I'm sort of going in the other direction right, right? And, and feeling like Cut oh loose. shit like I don't have any income like mm-hmm. I don't have a job I don't have because uh, you're a student you're working I'm, on right, it right <laughs> well and I you know, I won't graduate until May. Until you know, I'm facing. You know, if my if my family really pushes it, mm-hmm. you know, there there is a strong possibility that I might be homeless, right? And like that, I'm literally moving in the opposite direction, right? right? And being like, I'm damn near 30 years old. Like, I'm I got a degree and a half. Like, you know, I've run all the way across the country and a lot of the ways around the world. But this is like a, a legitimate thing that's like looming over yeah. my head. And, you know, what, you know, so the the stats tell us all the time, like most people are maybe a paycheck away from homelessness. That's what I'm going to say is like this. All of this is just the tenuousness of like wealth and like security in this country. It's right. it's it's a it's a fallacy. Like you can't. Right hold on to nothing right and I I think that I am part of this like feeling of like grief is like that's that's never really been my reality I knew you know when I got fired like all kinds of crazy things have happened in my life but I knew that you had a place if if it really came down to it I could go home Mm. right and having that taken away from me forcibly by people who say that they love me is a whole Ugh. mind fuck. Yes. Yes. Well, I feel like I have to say, even though you know this, but like you'll never be literally homeless as long as you right. have. Legit people keep being homies, like, bitch, you not going you. <laughs> But that doesn't take away from the grief right. and the fear and the like, where are you gonna stay for the long term? Right. But yeah, like I mean that's the thing too. Like this we this we talked about it. We've talked about it, but like 
when capitalism fails us, what are we relying on? And right. how are we relying on each other? Like, and how long can we support each other? You know, how long can I let you sleep on my couch? And mm-hmm. All that. Business. Me and my cat. I love cats. Because you, but does Freddie love cats? He's going to work it out. <laughs> <laughs> and does Lily, who is my cat, love Freddie? Like, there's, it's I know, complex. These are real. It's complex. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, negotiation that will have to happen there. A lot of, like, yeah. processing. <laughs> Dog and cat processing. Baby cats. Like, you know. <laughs> Should we have a sip of drink to that? Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to be all right. (laughs) Round two? Round two. You ready for another drink? You got to finish that one. Oh, shit. (laughs) You can give me some if you want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're doing good. You're doing good. I'm a boss. Okay. So what's our round two? Dark and Stormy. Dark and Stormy. Anyone who knows me knows this is literally my favorite drink on the planet. Oh, God. And she let me make it. This is <laughs> really terrifying. Okay. Let me tell you about this. Dark but I and gave stormy. her the recipe. She did. But then I was by myself and anything could have happened. <laughs> you don't understand. Okay. Here. Pour yourself while I talk about the ingredients. So, again, I went for simple with bougie mixers. So, I used um, for the ginger ale... Um, Bruce Cost Original Ginger Ale, which has like its own kind of like you can see the swirl of like the original seasonings and flavors in it, um, and just some lime and some Mount Gay again. So that's that's what we working with. Let me try that. Great. Okay, here's a moment of truth. <laughs> Is it any good? Oh good. Dear Mother in Heaven. No, I feel like this is going to be fine. Dark and Stormies are really hard, hard to, to fuck up. It's hard to fuck up. <laughs> like, I have to say, it's why I order it from, like, most places that I go to. Because, theoretically, it should have bitters, but, like, I don't think you really oh, need Oh, I them. did put bitters in it. Yeah. You Hold know what? the phone. You know what, Kiria? Because we talked about this, and I was like, hmm. But you don't have to. I knew something was missing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My mama got me some bitters for Christmas. Oh my so god, that's it's so a, cute. It's a spray. It's um it's a digestive bitter, but it's really good in drinks. I've had it before. So it's a little on the bitter side of bitters. It's not like an orange bitter or something. It's oh, a little okay. more on the like um, you know, herbally. Mm-hmm. But I put that in there. So we'll see how it is. This is really good. Yay. I am a person who doesn't like my dark and stormy super sweet. I know some folks who want like they'll use like a Gosling's or like mm. another or um <clears throat> A Myers, which to me fall on the sweet, heavy side of rums. Right. Um, and I, while, you know, most bars will pour you a dark and stormy and they use a Gosling's. I'll request a Myers if they have it. But a lot of times those feel a little sweet to me. Mm. So this is actually really nice because, A, we're going to keep drinking. And, <laughs> <laughs> and B, we had this cola beforehand right. and that's got a little bit of sugar in it. So this is a really nice balance. I, I like this actually. I'm. Yay, Kiria, you did okay. Yeah. This is this is what Steph and I usually drink when we go places. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. With the ginger. That's good. And we are going to talk about... Next, we're going to talk about chronic illness. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Here's the deal, y'all. Um, I am, I guess, in. I use this language, you know, to be provocative, but I'm coming out as um, chronically ill. And I've had various kinds of conditions literally since I was born. 
that in depending on who you ask and what state I am in, in qualify me for being chronically ill, but I've always been on the verge of quantifiably identifying as chronically ill. And like in college, I debated like, am I gonna register for disability services? Like what is, you know, there is a, there's a, there's a real, um, uh, a status attached to, and I don't mean status in the, in the form of like high, like high status. I mean, status yeah, like as in, not like a hierarchical. No, but like structure. as in, it is a status of citizenry to be chronically ill in which it can change things about your life. It changes um, whether or not you're stigmatized. It changes whether or not you have access to services. It changes which in either direction, right? Like you mm-hmm. can get less access, access and more access depending mm-hmm. on how you register. Um, and obviously it changes your daily experience with the world and how you engage with it. And all of the chronic conditions that I have had either clinically diagnosed by a doctor or self-diagnosed are invisible. You can't see them except for eczema. but. Um, I, and let me just tell you right now, because I come from a family of eczema. If you're thinking like, oh, eczema ain't nothing, it can be a thing. Like my baby cousin was afflicted with eczema in ways that he could not go outside in the sun. He could not bathe regularly. Like it is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I luckily haven't had it like that. I've had, like I said, most of my chronic illnesses, eczema, IBS, um, gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD, um, uh, those are the diagnosed ones um, f- until those have mostly been on like the moderate to like low high so like there are periods when like it did affect my schooling in college I, I literally dropped out of some classes because of having these conditions mm-hmm. but I didn't register for disability services because it was hard to quantify and qualify people questioned me and whether or not I was telling the truth I was part of a political organization where they questioned my commitment to the struggle because I said I didn't feel well and they couldn't see it like this is a thing right mm. So one to skip a few, I'm in my 30s now and I started two years ago to develop some chronic pain that was really new to my body. Um, it affects mostly my hands and feet. I have a hard time gripping things. I sometimes wake up in pain. Um, I sometimes have to stop walking. I sometimes am so fatigued I lay down again. You know, I'm not gonna give you all my medical history here, but basically um, I am, cons- and I was, and I tested maybe positive for some kind of autoimmune thing. So there's lots of things this could be, right? I'm sure people in the audience listening who have chronic conditions are like, oh, maybe it's, oh, that sounds like, because there's a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So a doctor recently, as in the last couple of weeks, was like, that sounds like fibromyalgia. And that's literally on my chart. And that's a thing, right? Like when the title is on your chart, it becomes a thing. So now it affects it could affect my insurance status, depending on how the mm-hmm. future of the ADA. I mean, not, not the ADA, the uh, ACA. Right. Um, it could. It gives me access to see other doctors and specialists because they believe me now. Because one doctor has told me has told everyone else that I'm telling the truth, which is some bullshit. That I need validation from a, you know, somebody else, somebody else, some quote unquote expert to say like, yes, she is in pain. Um, it also asks, makes me ask questions about like, how do I need to modify my life? Do I need to change my life? And I, and I, and also, do I stick with this definition, this um, this diagnosis? Because it's a diagnosis of exclusion, which means it literally means that they don't know what it is, but they believe you have something. <laughs> they don't know what it is. Essentially, okay, so diagnoses of exclusion are they don't know what it is, but they know what it's not. Right. 
they know what it's not. And then there's some other things that they can't really tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, I have to laugh to keep from crying. Medicine is strange, y'all. The medical industrial complex is fucked yes. up in general, but like liter- like diagnose- physical diagnoses. Specifically, physical diagnoses of not of 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 less than acute situations right. in the human body are this like wild west of like well maybe right and I mean my experience with medical professionals, especially Western allopathic medicine, right? I've also seen naturopaths, I've also seen herbalists. Um, I haven't done acupuncture so much, um, like once or twice, but I'm probably gonna get into it. Um, but allopathic doctors across the board um, infantilize their patients, meaning they treat them like children. The structure of how you even get into the doctor and how you're supposed to behave is that of a child. You're supposed to go in, tell the authority figure what they ask you, close your mouth, and do what they say. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to see you because they're not ready to see you, you don't get to see them. They are in control yeah. of your health. The a someone else, an institution, often an insurance institution, a money-making, a financial profit institution, but also a, an educated professional expert is in control of your body right. when you are in pain. And what you can and can't do to said body, how you can and can't access to relief for said body. Right. Um, I did some research this past uh, semester on the ways people think through and understand um, the choice of like, so I was looking at like um, pro-life versus pro-choice mm. and the ways that people sort of fall across that. But obviously that touches very closely on the medical industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And so many people across the, uh, the, the quote unquote great divide mm-hmm. of like pro-life or pro-choice, like men, women, non-binary binary folks, grandmas, mm-hmm. like everybody was like, most doctors are not the issue, mm. right? Doctors have been indoctrinated, right, mm. or, or told that they need to exist within a structure, mm. right? And that structure upholds the power of someone who is not them. The people who are in charge of the way that you engage with your medical care are not medical professionals. Mm. They're pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> it's a lot of admin professionals, or, yeah. Um, insurance companies, right? And so, so many people, when I said, well, what could be better, right? Because you know me, I'm trying to imagine greater worlds. So when you ask somebody's grandma, Mm -hmm. right? Or when you ask a 16 or 17 year old boy, like, what could be better, right? They say, well, I want my doctor to feel like they can talk to me like I'm a person. Mm -hmm. I want my doctor to be able to feel like they can ask me questions and then do what my doctor thinks it's best for me not say, well, here's what I think, but I have to check with insurance first, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and and for me to hear that, you know, and I interviewed about 30 something people across the continental United States mm. between the ages of literally 16 to 87. Mm-hmm. And for that to be a constant thing through mm. all the different ways that people thought about literally everything else. Yeah. Literally everything. Um, was this idea that like doctors are, doctors are people. Yeah. Doctors are people with a specific kind of knowledge, but they're people and people felt like my doctor treats me like a person, but as soon as they have to do something 
that connects to either insurance or drugs, then they stop treating me like a person. Interesting. Right? And and the request was always like I want my doctor to have the the authority to mm-hmm. say this is what my patient needs. Hmm. And that concept is so foreign to the way that we practice medicine hmm. in in sort of western culture, right? In a lot of quote unquote non-western iterations of of care right the person who treats you the person who's in front of you the person who you're talking to or explaining your symptoms to or who's touching your body is the person who's like here's what i think is going on but even before that they're the person who believes you they're the person who says you came to me something must be wrong tell me what's happening yeah yeah see i this is really interesting to hear um i would i think my experience has been a little different because I've I've also had the experience where people don't know my insurance and don't ask and therefore recommend or prescribe things that I cannot access mm. and that puts me at a wall where I've like mm. you told me what I need and I can't get it and I wish that you had been more informed or had asked more questions about that so that I wouldn't okay. have to face this but I, I I totally believe in here that that the other side happens too I think my wish would be slightly different it's that I wish that my doctor could engage with me in a collaborative exploration mm-hmm. of what I need and my and my health outcomes. Like, I feel that the best doctors I've had have actually been nurse practitioners, almost across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a naturopath that I liked, but nurse practitioners often dabble in some of the mm-hmm. things that naturopaths do. Um, but they have been really collaborative. They've, they've recognized that I know my body. They're like, oh, you you sound like you know what you're talking about. Right. Have you right, heard right, right. you okay, you know about that. Great. And then they then they talk to me like a peer. Right. As opposed to like a child who doesn't need to know. Yes. As opposed to someone yes. who like is, you know, a hypochondriac who doesn't like no, like mm-hmm. I know a lot. Yeah. I know and a I lot. Think that you have access to labs and I don't. That's the difference right. between us. That's right literally now. the difference, right? <laughs> and so I also think and I, I realize this is a this is a space of privilege as well. Like my dad's a physician. My oh, mom's a nurse practitioner. Damn. I walk in the place and I've diagnosed my damn self. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. I literally walk in and I'm like, I have a sinus infection or I have strep. Right. And and yeah. Or I have bacterial vaginosis, not a yeast infection. I know the difference. Which is fucking different, right? right? And I, <laughs> people laugh at me all the time because they, I've spent years building a medical team that trusts. You have the dope medical team <laughs> but it took me a Your long dentist time be dropping life advice y'all love about your so heart much. <laughs> can't even um, deal with you y'all just got a dental spa um but no and and i've spent I actually years. have a new dentist that i love oh my god by the way yes. gentle dental park slope check it out yes. she's this really dry humored but super compassionate russian lady i love her check her out oh my god so but yeah like my dentist my gyn my PC, uh, GYN meaning gynecologist and PCP meaning um, primary right. care provider. But they're, you know, with the exception of my dentist, like they're black women, right? And, and my GYN is queer. And so, Dope. you know, I I very clearly knew, I, from a very young age, I had black doctors, but, you know, I, I knew very clearly. I was like, all right, this is how I need this is how I need to speak to people right. so that they will not treat me like I'm five. Side note, let's do another episode called Horror Stories of Gynecology. 
I didn't see a GYN until I was 25 years old. Lord, okay, that's another episode. That's a whole different episode. Let's drink to that because we <laughs> gotta move on. So my first, my first GYN <laughs> experience was perfect, and I've never left her. Wow, we got more drinks in 15 minutes. Fucking Q train. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, our handle is cheers, the letter N, queers. So, you know, come hang out. But also if you just want to follow along with the conversation, if you want to talk to other people, you can use the hashtag cheers and queers and pod in to talk to each other, to say, you know, what it is you're thinking about, to ask us questions. What you're drinking. Yes. Take pictures of what you're drinking or, you know, if you have suggestions for our next drink. You can throw that Ooh, in there too. Yes, recommendations, please. That'd be um, great, actually. And yeah, I'm definitely really excited to like keep hearing about what you guys are talking about on Twitter. I do check the hashtags, y'all. I see you. <laughs> Back in black. <laughs> We are to mojito. Will you tell us about this mojito that you um, expertly mixed <laughs> under the table? Under the table. <laughs> um, so it's a really simple mojito. Um, I Goddamn. Sorry. Sip to head. It's delicious. <laughs> I like honey in my mojitos as opposed to like refined sugars. Yes. And so this is um, a honey simple syrup that I like whipped up in the microwave. L- mint leaves, um, lime, club soda, and rum. It's so good. The lime, the um, the mint is so fresh. Yeah. And the honey, I Trader love Joe's. honey. I when I taste something, like if I have a sweet, and I'm like, what is this? Is so good. It's usually because honey. Is yeah. Instead of sugar. Honey has a very distinct flavor, and and it adds to the like complexity of the mojito as opposed mm. to a white sugar, which is sort of just like generally sweet. Right. This is really good. I you need to like post your measurements on the. All these all these drinks will be listed in our show notes, so check it out. It's true. It's true. What are we getting into topic-wise right now? What are we talking about? We're talking about our relationship. Yes, we are, <laughs> bitch. Go. Three drinks in, we ready. Oh, God. You might have peeped at the beginning of the episode that Ashoke <laughs> casually dropped my girlfriend. Go on. Continue. Um. So, yes, I am in a... Let me toss my hair a little bit about this uh... one. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, so I'm in a long-term monogamous relationship. Oh shit! With a whole ass woman. She's real dope, actually. I <laughs> adore this woman. Go on. Um, and that's you know I ha- I haven't been in a any kind of relationship mm. in a long. Time. It was not bay season. It was hashtag not bay season. But now and now. It's base season. Here we are. Tell us about it. What you can. What's 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 good. Actually, I have a specific question for you. Okay. Because you just used a word in mm-hmm. this descriptor, right? Of monogamous, right? Which we have both discussed being non-monogamous. Word. Do tell. So and this is something that I, you know, is complex, right? Because um, my partner is, is monogamous and. And when you say that, you mean like as an identity, right? Like that's how she uh, creates and holds long-term um, relationships. And um, <clears throat> for me, while I have 
practiced what I like to affectionately call ethical monogamy and ethical non-monogamy um, because I've seen some non-monogamy that is what the fuck. I've also seen some monogamy that is uh-huh. a joke. Exactly, right? And I think that for me, the ways that I have seen um, people practice um, polyamory in a way that, that works requires a lot, right? It requires a lot of yep. time and energy and capacity and, and, you know, like stuff, right? And and I think that when, or not I think, I have <laughs> actually experienced that when I am in a space where my mental health is great and when I have, you know, a lot of capacity and when I'm in a good headspace, I can do those things. Mm-hmm. And when I am not, it all falls down. Mm. And so the only way that I have ever been able to practice a healthy and ethical long-term relationship mm-hmm. is in a monogamous shape. Mm, fascinating. Right? And and to me, the biggest thing about um, polyamory has, the way, has been the ways that it has taught me how to exist in a monogamous shape as well. Mm-hmm. Right? There are so many things. And we've, we've talked about this before, like what monogamous people can learn from polyamorous people and what mm-hmm. poly- what things polyamorous people can learn from monogamous right. people. Um, and I think that those things have, have definitely informed the way that I think about and exist in um, long-term and short-term relationships. Right. Both right? and, yeah, there's, there's definitely gems yes, both in and. every shape, yeah. Um, and so for me, you know, I know that I have like definitely created space where I've like harmed people mm. when I continue to be poly when I don't have the capacity for it right that's and that's it's really hard to like hold like oh shit like I'm I'm the one causing the harm damn but I that's also real. don't believe that monogamy is an inherently violent practice I think a lot of people might not even realize that's the point of view what do you mean when you say that um, I think that there is sort of a school of thought that monogamy limits the ways that mm. you can exist with other people. Mm. Monogamy assumes that love and affection and compassion are not expansive and abundant, um, and that limiting the ways that one exists with other people mm. um, and cutting those cutting people off or like um, saying like you can we can only exist in this way is a form of violence, right? Hmm. <clears throat> and hmm. I don't I don't think no, that ne- way. No, neither do I. In fact, I think there's a there's a piece in what you just said that I think compulsory compulsory, well, that's a hard word to say. I think compulsory relationship structures mm-hmm. are inherently violent. Right. Like anything there's that an assumes aspect to coercion in it that yeah. that makes me a little mm. Yeah, so like if it, if you have to be a certain way and and if and as we know in our society the norm and the expected and enforced, violently enforced, enforced norm is monogamy. But the problem is not the monogamy; it's the enforcement. Right. Right. The idea that our society will shun you if you come out as non-monogamous—that mm-hmm. there isn't space for you and your family and your love and your desire if you're right. non-monogamous—that's violent. But monogamy in and of itself could be super dope. Right. If if you're into that, that's super juicy. That's some sexy shit right there. <laughs> And I say this as a decidedly poly-identified person. Right. And, and that's something that, like, not everybody, I think, is aware of. But, like, for me, 
polyamory is a part of my sexual and romantic identity. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that I can actually love and desire in a monogamous way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been in monogamous relationship structures, but they were through uh, unhealthy means for me. Mm-hmm. It was about protecting by controlling the Mm, the actions of the person I was with because they were out of control because of depression and trauma and whatever. And it was like, if you're just with me, then you won't hurt yourself. Ah. That's the only way that I've been monogamous and that's not the business. No, no. Because it it comes from an inherent sense of trauma, right? This, this, if if you don't, if you, if you are in the shape, then you won't. Right. Right. As right. opposed to if we are in the shape together, then we can. Right. Yes. And it's it's all about communication and talking about what you want, what you need, what you desire. Yeah. And I think we learned also from the episode with um with Eb and um Erica, Erica yeah. that there are also different shapes of monogamy <laughs> as well, right? Like you could have some monogamous relationships have threesomes, right? Right. Or at least access to like sexual partners that are right. not, you know, outside of sex. Um, but yeah, I think that's, it's, it's been a eye opener for me to, to really come into myself and say like, no, like it's, it's, this is how, and, and I'm a, you know, Pisces, we fucking love a relationship. <laughs> we do. Yeah, that's true. We fucking love a relationship. That's true. And I have (laughs) long been in a space of like, how do I build a healthy relationship, right? Because I I fully understand that like relationships are cute, but if it's a relationship that is costing me, Mm. right, then it's not, it's just not worth it. So how do I build a healthy relationship? And that to me is a relationship that holds the tenets of polyamory, right? Holds like... These, these really intense and focused and um, intensive communication ideas, but also, like, right. is just between me and this other person. Right. That's dope. But I want to ask you, like, as a mm-hmm. person who has a, a, a secure and, and focused polyamorous identity, like, what is it like to exist in your relationship structure as it stands? Ask it one more time. <laughs> So do you want me to ask in a different way or just this? Okay. So you are a polyamorous person. Yes. So what is in the ways that you exist in the world? Yeah. How do you hold your Mm. like space and and time and Mm. and focus and energy Mm. as a polyamorous person Mm. in your, in your Anchor partnership mm-hmm. and in your yeah um, other partnerships. I will say briefly and vaguely um, that yeah. it's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a long time I had long term relationships mm-hmm. with in like multiple, and that was really helpful. Like longevity, time, time heals all wounds, right? right. So like things get easier when like everybody knows each other, and it's been like five six years Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and things are changing and that's hard change is hard and i think what's really hard is when one relationship dynamic is changing in a dramatic way that has some sorrow and grief in it and another one is not that's really hard um and that's a real thing like it's a real thing that people don't realize can happen but like when you really know that you can love more than one person at a time you can also be heartbroken and in love at the same time Mm -hmm. that's hard 
it's really mm-hmm. hard and I don't know how to do it like perfect I just know that it's happening so that's a thing and then it's like you know um yeah there's a lot of my, I had a therapist once that was like the P in poly stands for processing I'm like, fucking accurate. talk that shit <laughs> Um, Can I say that processing has been a hallmark of the monogamous relationships? Right. Okay. So that's what I was going to say. The healthy monogamous relationships, multiple that I have been in. If I don't process, it's not good. Look, if we're not processing, we're not friends. That's that's what you need to know about Carrie Draper. Because like I literally this week like sent articles to friends that were text oh, being shit. like, I'd love to discuss this with you next time we hang out. Like I like to process. So luckily I'm built for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you need to know about me. Scorpios be like. Scorp- shit. Scorpios with, with Capricorn. So I've got like all the feelings and a spreadsheet because I got a Capricorn rising. So like. But spreadsheets are great. Spreadsheets are great. I cannot believe you're not a Capricorn anyways. We're moving on it's from that. Not. Um, we have like two minutes. Oh shit! Yeah, okay. and we were supposed to have gotten through four drinks, but we haven't. How, what happened? I don't. We just got really caught up in our emotions. We can't do math when we're drinking. <laughs> that also <laughs> is a thing. Okay, so I think that means we're gonna do our toast with another drink, which mm-hmm. we can. Yeah, let's let's not chug this. A toast to the groom. To the groom. To the groom. To the groom. To the bride. To the bride. Last drink. Last drink. What is it? It is. Rum and lemonade, a little summer fun, but it's specifically because it struck about this in my house the other day, and I was like, I need to give me some more that. <laughs> I've anyone who knows me has known known for the last like several years that I am obsessed with elderflower. For a long time, I had a theory that it tastes like pussy, but it doesn't. <laughs> it just lingers on the back Who's of your pussy. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So there's a theory. And, you know, shout out to Tasha for, like, really holding it down. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I was like, it tastes like pussy. And, and, like, Tasha was like, no, it doesn't. But it lingers on the tongue and, like, stays in your mouth like pussy does. And I was like, oh. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> this is Belvoir Fruit Farms Organic Elderflower and Rose Lemonade. Literally my favorite. Gently bubbling with real elderflower and rose extract. With some Mount Gay. <laughs> Literally the best thing. I love this lemonade. I love it. It's like amazing. I love it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You just can't go wrong with this lemonade. You could literally just drink it straight or you could put any lick. I don't like vodka. I bet vodka would taste good in this. This tastes particularly good with a very, very high quality silver tequila. I'm not saying that I Ooh. have some in my house, Ooh. but I do. I believe that. It's good, right? <laughs> Okay. But I fucking do. So. We need to do a toast. We're going to do a toast. What are we toasting to? (sighs) Okay. So we just shared a whole lot of mess about the real, real of our lives. (laughs) Actually accurate. I think we should toast to. I mean, part of me just wants to be like, thank you. Oh, you know what? Here we go. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get hippie to be on (laughs) y'all. Oh, good. I was at a wedding this weekend. Okay. This is not not hippie to be actually. This is just. Okay. So I was at a wedding. And it was uh, Christian-ish, and there was so there was a there was a, a female pastor giving the um, you know marrying the two ordaining 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 yes things that pastors do. I'm not a Christian, y'all. I'm yeah or officiating officiating depending yes. on who you talk to. So um, she was officiating, and she said she opened with a prayer, and she said, "I want you to recognize right now 
that you are in a sacred place, in a sacred space. And as she said that, I didn't think about the marriage hall, the wedding hall we were in in Queens. I thought about my body. And I thought, and she's like, I want you to give thanks for being in this sacred place. So I would like us to toast to the many sacred places. Mm -hmm. So what is a sacred place for you? It could be a sacred part of your body. It could be another space. What is sacred for you right now? Okay. So I'm going to do this thing LeVar Burton does. (laughs) Because one day he's going to be on our podcast. Okay. Um, LeVar, if you're listening, send us a tweet or something. (laughs) Um, Send us a fucking smoke signal. Um, Okay, so we're going to take a deep breath. All together. Ready? Yes. And we're going to think about our sacred place. We're going to be thankful that that sacred place fucking exists. For us. Wherever it is. Yes. I think we did a show. Yeah. Let's (laughs) cheers to that. Okay. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. So now that we've been all sacred, um, I want you, listener, to use the hashtag Cheers and Queers and pod in on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to... Have conversations to tell us about your sacred place, to show us what you're drinking, to ask us, you know, what kind of rum was that again? Or to tell us what kind of rum you love. Yep. Caribbean people, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, follow us on Twitter. Once again, our hashtag is cheers, the letter N, queers. And then our handle is also the same thing. Cheers, the letter N, queers. Um, tell your friends. You can be some cuties in that hashtag. And then, you know, obviously tell us what you're drinking. I want you to rate us on iTunes if you use iTunes or whatever app you're using. I know there's a lot of, you know, you might be out there using a a Radio Public or something. Right, Radio Public, Stitcher, Google Play, Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff. We really do look through all of those ratings. We really do. Yeah. (laughs) Our good friend Lance. Um, and then uh, we want to let you know that the music in this episode was provided by B. Steadwell, Boomscat, and Abel Shifra. You can find uh, B at bsteadwell.com, Boomscat at boomscat.com, and Abel is out here in these streets in <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> so we are a member of the Gifted Sound Network, or GSN. Uh, the episode was produced by myself, Kyria. Just kidding. I'm Isha, okay? <laughs> But I Switch always want to do Friday. that. I literally am always like, can we confuse the listeners with our voices? That girl, we don't have Okay, to we can talk about that yeah. another time. Okay, so myself, Ishoga, and Kiria um, with support from Liz Sean and edited by Giselle Hernandez, who is yeah. Thank you all. And, um, see you on the streets or on the interwebs. Okay, bye y'all. Bye. We gon' tear it up.